everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-host, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. You are listening to episode 200 of the podcast, and tonight we are covering mm-hmm. the top five films of 1973, 83, 93, and 2003. Uh, for those of you that have been listening for the past five years, um, roughly we have done this in a different format before um usually at the end of the year we go ahead and cover um with a specific top five list for each of the five years dating back 50 40 30 and 20 years ago um a combination of time constraints this year plus the fact that many of these movies that are on the lists uh have been discussed before um and i'll cross-reference those um as we're going along or where you can go back and listen to those that conversation for each movie or conversations in some cases um i'll go ahead and note that um as we're going along so frank 200 episodes pretty crazy it is you also consider fuck what like a hundred spin chagrins and a hundred quick cages and not quite a hundred yet he failed that's true 90 98 quick cages 97 whatever Mm-hmm. yeah it's a lot of talking it is i, I don't know <laughs> it's, it's, yes a lot of talking um yeah um i mean how many downloads are we at like fifteen thousand something yeah, something like that i i haven't really like paid attention to the, the the ultimate like overall downloads roughly but um but yeah, yeah um but thank you everybody for um we we probably don't say that enough those of you that are um you know listen to us like you know casually or consistently um it's um it's uh um, yeah, we 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 appreciate you yeah and you'd be better if you listen to us more or like had other people listen to us and then i could quit my fucking job but you know we appreciate it for um, what it is now yes yes as always and and i i do a terrible job at those kind of things because i hate self-promotion but um you know, the best thing that you can always do for some, particularly because uh, Google Podcasts is kind of going away um, and is transitioning into um, being kind of like eaten up by YouTube. Um, so technically, I can't remember what the name of the new concept is, but YouTube, it won't be YouTube podcast, but something. But as it, it basically the podcast through Google, if you listen on Google Podcasts, eventually it'll be a, a YouTube thing. Um those um those will copy over if you have a subscription through Google Podcasts, I know, but um um I don't know what that listening experience will be like necessarily. I don't know if it does the whole thing where unless you like have a subscription to YouTube, like you can't have like a device shut down or something like that. So um just know if you need to switch to anything um outside of something like Apple Podcasts, like we're on basically every podcatcher app available. Um uh you know stitcher spotify like all that kind of stuff um as well and the best thing that you can always do for us in those situations is leave reviews for us um and even if it's only a couple words like leave just some kind of brief comment because the comments help um uh, push us up and get us noticed more um yeah so uh yeah i i always look forward to these episodes and the other crazy thing i don't know if you realize this this is like the this will be like five years we've done this now technically frank yeah we we started with 69 um 69 69 79 89 99 right um was when we started in 2019 um because we actually did it like within our first whatever 
like 20 episodes or something like that um so uh so yeah it's um it's pretty wild this is going to be like a half a decade now that you have like your top five list too as well um it's pretty crazy too yeah yeah um everything's everything's coming to a head um uh it's almost like um did you see that's so off topic but it's like did you see uh nikola jokic um he ended up uh having a 100% shooting percentage last night in a game um with a triple double um it's only like the uh so he like hit all of his three throws all of his field goals um it's the third time he's done in his career and he ties Wilt Chamberlain um it's like that guy's like historic relevance like in hitting milestones just as like constant like all the time um we get one week of it though 100 episodes of the fish screen 200 of the main yeah. podcast um <clears throat> all right so we're gonna start off uh roughly with uh going through like just like each year talking about frank's top five movies of that year briefly um and then moving on to like kind of like also ran type stuff like other movies that came out that year and what frank's thoughts on them are um, so we'll just go ahead and jump right in 1973. Um, the f- uh, first boot film that you have listed on there, and this is in no particular order, right, Frank? You just, because I think last year we set that precedent, right? I mean, alphabetical, if you want to look at it like that. Sure, right. Um, so the first movie you have listed here um, as a top five movie is Amarcord, uh, directed by Federico Fellini. Uh, we discussed this way back on episode three um, of the podcast. The top five period pieces of the 1970s uh, was the last time we talked about this. So, Frank, why does this make your top five of the year? Um, I mean, we talked about this at length, but yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I of all of Fellini's movies, I think it's. I'm not the hugest Fellini fan, I guess, in general. Like, I, I like a lot of his movies, but I'm not as obsessed as I am with certain other directors. But I think this one is the most, like, personal and relatable um, mm-hmm. from a, like, a humanistic standpoint. Like, there's not the typical, like, I don't know. I mean, there's, like, fantastical elements to it because it's just Fellini. But um, I don't know. Like, it just it feels, like, very grounded in... An almost like imperceptible, like wistful nostalgia, maybe, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like even the terrible things that he reflects upon, like the rise of um fascism through Mussolini and um the coming of war and like the threat of insanity I sort of that happens in the in the um narrator or whatever slash main character's family. Like there's kind of a like a warm like glow to everything and it's mm-hmm. um i don't know there's some really memorable characters it's really beautifully shot um he does a good job capturing season and time and space and um i don't know it's just it's it's a very like I, a lot of us and chris doesn't really always fall into this category but a lot of our friends are very much wrapped in like the pursuit of like nostalgia in terms of old video games and toys and movies and comics and whatever music. And I think that a Mark Ward is like the film adaptation of that feeling kind of, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, I, this, this movie is like stuck in my mind, even though I, that was the first time I ever watched it. 
um it has stuck in my mind because i'm i'm it, it's kind of like the anti it gas by movie like in the sense of the, it's a coming of age story which i don't always typically like um like it is this kind of like warm nostalgic like look at like you know childhood and stuff like that um and i'm not too big a lot on that time period of you know pre-world war ii like you know world war ii era uh but yeah this was the, the i still think of images from this movie like to this day um like i can recall like certain scenes like in this movie like every time i've like come across it or come across fellini i think about this movie because i'm not very experienced with fellini um but yeah i agree i i think it's um like a really powerful movie and really uh in terms of what I also I have seen as his filmography, it's very accessible to I think a lot of viewers um who could watch this and bad comparison, but it's like the Christmas story or something like that. Like, oh yeah. You know? uh, that's not a bad comparison. That's uh, fine. I, I think that's a good comparison. But just in terms of tone, I think, like to some degree. But um <clears throat> I mean, I guess there's enough humor in it, like you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mark Court's a pretty funny movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's just the difference in the humors, I guess, to me. Mm. But, <clears throat> but yeah, no, it's a it's a completely worthy movie, and I think it's definitely something that like everybody should probably watch like once in their life. Um, even if they're not like a big fan of foreign film or something like that, it's good. Yeah. Um. Second movie on your list, uh, we talked about this is episode 123 of the podcast. Uh, not the last time this will be referenced. And episode 123 was the next top five crime films of the 1970s. Uh, this is Badlands, directed by Terrence Malick and stars mm. uh, Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. Um, so why did this make your list for the top five of that year? So you actually, in my opinion, the next three movies kind of go together. Yeah, um, sure tonally and just in terms of like i guess what i love about 70s movies um badlands is a really just grim isn't the right word but it's like it's a very stark movie i guess in terms of it builds these great characters and these great moments and I mean, the narrative is there, but the narrative is second to, like, the character interaction, and I think that's kind of true for a lot of, like, the great 70s, um, I wouldn't even call them, like, neo-noir, I'd call them, mm. um, kind of like the natural successor to stuff like, um, like Godard's crime films, or, right. um, you know, like, that existential almost hopelessness of the early 70s and from like an artistic standpoint as told through like crime drama and there's like several other movies that could have made i don't want to like jump jump into your bag in terms of talking about other stuff but mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's a few other movies like high plane shifter and long goodbye um that came out this year that sort of also fit into that same category of this artfully filmed but just very like bleak looks at relationships and the human existence as told through the lens of like people that are involved in the underworld as opposed to you know um some other movies like last detail or um oh lucky man or whatever from mm -hmm. this year soylent soylent green even same year that um 
are also like similar in tone, but you know, take like from sci-fi or horror or whatever, um, drama. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great performances. Um, Malik perfectly captures the feeling of like almost like the opposite of like manifest destiny. Like I'll, I mean, to steal a, like a album line from modest mouse it's like the lonesome crowded west kind of feeling of Mm. badlands and the idea that this is like the evolution of the idea of romeo and juliet where it's not you know it's still romantic love but it's like hopeless romantic love but not through like whatever like the lens of shakespeare but through the lens of like Mickey Spillane or something. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know if that's yeah. like even like a good compare, right. like a good line, but the, just these these children of like the time, these I don't know. Disaffected. Lost, like, lost yeah. yeah, lost generation. Right. Um so yeah, and it's like it's it's a great road movie, it's a great romance in a very like I don't I don't want to say backwards, but non-traditional manner mm-hmm. um and i think like honestly like the perfect encapsulation of a lot of what i feel is fantastic about 70s um uh 70s crime and 70s like underground cinema in general yeah and um not to there's another movie that's on your list here but it's like uh so i don't necessarily want to compare it to that but it's like there's not the grittiness here of something like uh the french connection which like um i guess next year um 74 but like there's a grittiness there like this is beautifully filmed like yeah, this, yeah. And, and this is like you know um we were just talking about on the most recent quick cage like those like you know knowing that you're in like the the west in some ways even though this isn't a western it's like it's filmed at times to some degree like a western with these like you know like long shots mm-hmm. of you know um beautiful scenery and like the cinematography and the coloring is like so like on point it's definitely one of the best directorial debuts ever um uh this movie like and uh definitely another one that's uh that's worth watching i think um like you said you already said it all great performances um you know and it's something that like kind of keeps your attention i think like the entire time and it's really just uh one of the more beautiful movies um that I've ever seen probably yeah and it's it's also got some of that dreaminess hmm. not so much like a like a mark horde but um you're probably gonna hate this comparison but like to i almost like equated to something like like legend like 10 years later in a certain way mm-hmm. like a fantastical dreaminess to it sure and i think part of that is meant to kind of evoke um spacex characters infatuation with like this you know whatever like james dean wannabe older man mm-hmm. um who she throws her life away to like pursue a relationship with um and honestly like i mean i don't want to get too much into like the analysis of the movie but you think about it and after like a certain point like kind of after maybe even like the murders in the desert like everything becomes much like brighter and like more pronounced and um, maybe that's kind of like the disillusion of her, like towards Kit or whatever. But right. Um. Anyway, I don't know. I think. Um. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, there's I, and I, th- I think part of that. Sorry, go ahead. I mean, SpaceX and Sheen, and this is like, I don't know, probably Martin Sheen's like breakout role, I guess, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even like the minor performances, like War Notes and, um, I don't know. I I, I think SpaceX is amazing in this movie, but yeah, I just think it's like. It is really beautifully shot and almost perfectly filmed in the sense that, you know, it feels like wide open at times, but you can also feel like the world closing in on them um, as they like flee across the country. So, yeah, I was, I'm glad you continued. I was trying to look up the name of this. I think part of that dreaminess too is that soundtrack. Um, they use um, that song, um, it's like, gas an hours uh, gas an hour um that true romance ends up like you know tarantino loved this movie badlands and used it for true romance um as well a lot but it, like that that musical score that's in the background like uh adds i think to that dreaminess as well yeah um yeah definitely uh and and it's it's continuous throughout this movie and um it's um it's really it's used to really good effect i mean i think tarantino used it to good effect overall too i've just soured on parts of that movie um over time through romance but um it, it works really well um here uh as well but yeah no a fantastic movie and again i think it's something everybody should see once probably like in their yeah, life agreed. um been a long time since i've seen it I'd like the I'd like to watch it again yeah, I I try. I got through a couple of movies um, that I hadn't seen in a long time, but like I I, I wish I would have had more time to watch a couple more. Um, and and rewatch some of these ones that I have seen many times because I've probably seen Badlands like five times or something. Um, so to continue the crime theme, um, the third movie on your list is The Friends of Eddie Coyle, directed by Peter Yates, starring Robert Mitchell and Peter Boyle. We talked about this way back on episode twenty seven. Uh, of the podcast, which was the original top five crime films of the 1970s. Uh, so uh, both of us raved in that episode about <laughs> this movie. But um, you want to go ahead and explain like why you made why you made the top movies of the year for you? Um, I mean, again, kind of another. Um, I hate to use the word bleak because I don't think it's necessarily like bleak, but it's a very. Um, morally ambiguous look at someone who's a it's a look at a a criminal who's not the mastermind like he's not the guy that's scarface or whatever you know like what would mm-hmm. eventually become like the centerpiece of a lot of crime movies you know mitchum is this schlub who's a low-level gun runner who is really not very bright um you know, who makes a lot of mistakes um, and who gets caught up in these whatever, like happenstances through his criminal connections um, that end up ultimately leading to his downfall. And I think it's a really sad look at like, again, like not a romanticization of um, someone who's a criminal, but kind of just like a sad look and a really brilliant character portrayal in terms of um, uh, Mitchum's performance. Um, and shot in a style that is really, uh, like, I, again, like, not the same as Badlands in terms of, like, it's tonal, like, whatever, like, tonally or 
cinematography wise but just that feeling of like like knowing the characters and getting to know you know eddie coyle and um it's just that's more part of the movie than it is like telling you the story of what's happening with with these these people um to me it's robert mitchum that makes this movie like yeah i don't know like a thing that's like absolutely worth watching um and peter yates is like a pretty famous director and um bullet you know i Mm -hmm. think probably the thing that he's probably most known for sure um this is one of those things that i found through the criterion collection just randomly um when i used to buy like every criterion that came out yeah um i guess i would have seen probably i mean peter yates eventually goes on to direct like a some crap and yeah. one of my favorite movies of the 1980s in crawl um right. so i guess i'd probably seen crawl and you know maybe mother jugs and speed but mm-hmm. really blown away with this movie um it's i i think probably i didn't know it you know at the time but i think probably hugely influential on what later comes in terms of 70s crime cinema um especially in the way that like the crimes are filmed because again these are like petty criminals who are fuck-ups you know it's Mm -hmm. not it's not rafifi or whatever where it sees like dashing suave cigarette smoking like you know whatever robin hoods kind of i mean eddie coyle is a fuck-up and Mm -hmm. um i think you really come to know him and really come to almost like kind of care about him like that scene in boston garden or whatever that arena is called um, when they're watching the Bruins play is um yes freaking heartbreaking because this guy like you know super drunk and thinking he's out having a good time with like his friends and stuff and you know really yeah. just on his way to his own his own demise so. right um and that's also that's another thing and we we talked about about this when we talked about um I think across 110th Street maybe is the first time we had this conversation but. Like, just that feeling of, like, cinema verite, where they're, like, actually at a game, you know, where you really feel like you're watching real human beings interact in a real environment. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of that is, and I'm no, like, expert on this, so I might even be, like, 100% wrong, but I think a lot of that is just, there's use of those, like, Aeroflex cameras where they could really get in close with, you didn't have to, like, set a shot up. Like, you could be in the crowd with the person filming and get reactions and get close-ups and it felt you know it gives you that feeling that we kind of take for granted today of really being like immersed with the subject that you're watching mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. But yeah really good movie sad yeah. movie it is um yeah cheer uh, the when, when you were trying to come up with a word like cheerless is is what came to mind like um it's like this cheerless look at um boston crime kind of and i yeah, Mitchum like carries this movie. Peter Boyle's good in it. Like Peter Boyle's a guy who I know more as a comedian um growing up uh more than anything and it was really interesting to see him in a different role like I've seen this twice now, I guess. Um yeah. uh cuz you had me borrow it a long time ago and then um and then I watched it again for that podcast. But uh 
this another is another one that's like stuck with me and i definitely think this one's neo-noir like this feels yeah, yeah. It, it feels both as a continuation of 40s crime to some degree um without the glitz of the glam to some of that 40s crime um you know to to use chandler's line in this movie the murder still in the alley right like but um not in the venetian vase or whatever but um it also feels like it is the coming of elmore leonard too um Mm, these are the type these are the type of characters that like elmore leonard focuses on are these kind of like not completely stupid but like you know these guys that are can 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 err like you know and um you know make mistakes and fuck up and you know aren't perfect um obviously some of them are more comedic than others and leonard but i mean like this definitely for the more serious stuff i mean um this is louis gara right like you know in jackie brown or rum punch whatever you know one you want right. to look at like that's what these like people are and um yeah and i i agree i always think about that boston garden scene when i think about this movie um uh like all the time there's like the bank scene and there's like that boston garden scene like and those are the two that like constantly like you know um kind of keep coming back to me over and over but yeah another great movie um and um sad uh because i i think i i know when i was doing the research a long time ago it wasn't well received um like at the time um like overall like you know by the like gross wise like the box office is what i'm trying to think um like and uh it was so it was like kind of critically lauded um but like didn't and i think that like lack of box office gross hurt its long-term reputation to some degree until like you know criterion kind of like puts it out like when you bought it because hold on let's see here when was that that's about right. Yeah, 2009, right? Yep. Um so that is when it like first comes out, like, you know, and gets kind of like uh uh reassessed, I think, in a lot of ways and kind of brought back and um I still don't think it has um the notoriety that it should probably um among crime films of this time period. So Yeah. It's nice to be able to recognize it. Again. I mean, again, I had never heard about it before. Sure. Just randomly bought it you know yep. borders i think probably one day so yeah borders yeah. books and music hmm. um those those That's were the days day. those were the days uh the last crime film here that you have on this list is uh martin scorsese's mean streets um with harvey Keitel and robert de niro we also talked about this on episode 123 the next top five crime films of the 70s hmm. if you want to go back and listen to that um so why did this one make your list here? I think this is really similar to Eddie Coyle in the sense that you're looking at people that are related to crime that are kind of like so far away from being the, you know, whatever, like mafioso, right. you know, you watch the Godfather movies and we talked about the Godfather recently mm-hmm. in, in the past year, I think. Those movies yeah. are amazing, and Goodfellas, and oh, there's plenty of movies, and Good Goodfellas, I think, is probably the better comp because of Scorsese, mm-hmm. where when you watch Goodfellas, you're watching the rise of, like, the men that are driving the crime family, right? Like, they're the right. ones that are at the center. 
And watching something like Mean Streets, you're watching these like rats in polyester suits from the gutter who are kind of just like looking up at that, you know, they, they want to be a part of it, but they're just low level punks, basically. Um, especially, you know, De Niro's character, who's a lunatic in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the few movies that I really love Harvey Keitel in, too, if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but just a really, you know, it's just, it, it, it feels like the 70s. Like, you look at it, and it's, there's that, like, pat, patina or whatever to everything that you look at, where it's just kind of grimy and... It looks worn and lived, and there's that grain to the film, and mm-hmm. you know you're just watching these people live, and really, I mean, like you want to see Harvey Keitel, you know, be successful because he's not a bad guy, and he's, sure. you know, like the performance is fantastic, but just can't can't get himself away from his fucking what is it cousin, right? Is what yeah. Fuck yeah. up of a cousin, so yeah. But I mean, that character of of Charlie that Kaitel plays is just um really brilliantly realized. The dialogue is perfect. It's it's again very naturalistic. There's a real feel of like cinema verite to the fact that like you're actually on those streets, like in the tight hallways and stairwells and mm-hmm. small apartments and you know, fucking smoke-filled, like, dive bars where these people gather, and just, like, everything about it just feels um real and invested, and I don't know, I mean, and I'll tell you what, like, it's a goddamn shame what Martin Scorsese has become in the past, like, I don't know, two decades, because this is the film of, like, you look at this, um, Taxi Driver, uh, I don't know, probably raging bull although i'm not the yeah even, i know bull. you're not a big fan of but raging bull yeah um just this guy that could perfectly capture the feel of a moment right like the 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 i hate to use the word like zeitgeist but like the like just the pulse of the time and it's like how many you know wannabe like crime movies have like risen out of what mean streets like sets down as kind of like just the pulse of the like the wire and um, sure homicide and hill street blues and Mm -hmm. like all these shows and movies that come out of that that feel that mark that scorsese kind of creates here because again you're and this is another reason why i think these three movies are really like perfect in terms of like being emblematic of what the 70s represent because you're not talking about like I don't know. You know, it's not what's his name um in white light white heat or whatever like with his Tommy gun like shooting people or it's not Cagney. Yeah. yeah, Cagney. It's it's there's no romanticization to it. It's very real and it's very like these people are are poor and struggling and even though they feel sometimes like they have money because of their ill-gotten gains, like they're not people to look up to and I think it's um I don't know. I I it's funny that because eventually, you know, Scorsese would ultimately flip that through Goodfellas, which I think really romanticizes the idea of the mafiosa. Um, sure. But here, you know, it's something definitely that you don't look up to. And those people, 
in regards to like the way they deal with Charlie and especially with Johnny Boy, very cold, very callous. Like there's not a feeling of like the La Familia shit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and maybe it's just that, like like we talk about Lucas as well, right? And this is completely unrelated to this, but like we watched American Graffiti and we've talked about Star Wars and whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like him and spielberg and you know um coppola and stuff like there's a hunger to these dudes when they're young in the early 70s like out of film school and like in touch with i think like the feeling of the time which is like that death of the summer of love feeling sure that i think you know i think tarantino captures that perfectly in um once upon a time in hollywood but Mm -hmm. You know, they kind of fall away from that, and that's, and maybe that's just the 80s in general, like that glamorization of everything and sure the pop culture sheen of like whatever excess that kind of, you know, and like I love 80s movies, so I don't want to like mm, yeah. get on them, but yeah, yeah. there's that rawness and that grittiness that I think is just like emblematic of the time. And well, that well, it's rebellious, right? I mean, yeah. like it's like one of the things I, I think about with Scorsese and Main Streets, um, been a couple of years since i watched now for that podcast but is is some of the things that he's doing camera wise that up until this point having watched so much film because of the podcast like an even older film like from from the 70s and um 80s and 60s and um even like there, there's camera stuff that he's doing that i've never seen done before um and that really is some of those scenes like there's that fight in the bar and stuff like that and it's like I remember like thinking like that's really like he's he's like there with a handheld like getting up close and like you know um to some of the stuff and it makes you feel like you're really fucking there. Yeah. Um very similar to like some of the things we're saying about Eddie Coyle just done in a different way and it really puts you into the energy of the scenes. And he's doing stuff that's even from a filmmaking standpoint that's like just like insanely inventive. Um it could be because he you know uh what is that um you know i can't remember the phrase now mother invention or whatever um oh necessity uh, is mother of invention yeah yeah, yeah. um it, it could be that that because of the money aspects but um yeah to see and, and look i mean i think we need to at some point like we we have to watch goodfellas and again and talk about it um only because I want to see if it's a Godfather type thing, because I like soured on the Godfather for so many for maybe decades. Um, and then rewatching it last year, like was really surprised by how fucking good that movie is. But <clears throat> um, and I don't know if I'll feel the same way about Goodfellas, but I think we need to find out at some point. But um, but yeah, this is a guy like just like you were saying about Lucas. It's like, you know, they're they're rebels. They're doing things that are different. Like then you know, and they're pushing boundaries, and then they just become what they become. Like you know, much like I mean, look, I I I hate to always shit on them all the time, or maybe I don't, but it's like, it's a, it's a very fucking boomer thing, and and it, it follows the trends of the time from the seventies into the eighties. These kind of like you know rebellious types, these youths coming out of film school that eventually kind of you know, I mean like. Look, I don't think it's the worst movie in the world, but it's like fucking Scorsese's doing After Hours by 1985, right? And it's yeah. like, uh, whatever. Um, but yeah, this is this is a this is a, like a powerhouse film, 
Um, and and you're right, Kaitel is really good in this. Um, I think he's good in other things too. Though myself, I think there's also he's really good part. in that movie Fingers. Fingers. Sorry, I'm just quoting. Um, get shorting. Mm. Um, you made me lose my train of thought. Oh. The other thing I uh, it's the heartbreaking subplot about like Kaitel being in love with um the uh, the epileptic lady and having to hide it because like the entire Italian community shuns her because of her disease. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's and that goes to show like yeah, like what a good guy he is. I mean, yeah, it's 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 extremely well done. Um you know, we never talked about taxi driver either. Really, I thought we did talk about nope. it. Nope, never been on a list. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's some movies that are really surprising. Um, that's like it's, never... it's next it's next year then, right? Seventy four. Is that right? If it's is is it like that? That's crazy. If it's seventy four, is going to be like maybe one of the hardest lists you ever make. I think. Um, if that's true, let me look. Seventy six. So you're safe. So a couple uh, years seven, years. 74 is still really crazy year mm. um, i'm fine with that if you did um so the last movie from 1973 is um robin hardy's the wicker man uh starring edward woodward uh brit eckland and christopher lee we've talked about this twice before on the podcast uh way back episode 70 the top five horror movies involving cults um and then again on episode 145, the top five horror movies of 1973. So, um, not surprising to me at all. But, um, do you want to kind of reiterate for everybody, Frank, like why you think this is, um, the top five of the whole, whole year? Yeah, it's probably my favorite movie of the year, like my personal favorite. Yeah. Um, just a small, I don't know, folk horror movie. Um, uh, cop is lured to this remote what is it like scottish isle summer isle anyways name of it mm-hmm. um looking for the investigating the disappearance of a little girl um he slowly begins to like re- kind of run afoul of the the denizens of the island including um the leader of the island lord summer isle, um who's this I think it's, I mean, I would argue that there's probably like kind of a, like a Manson, um, comp or whatever, that that's what, um, Mm. um, Christopher Lee is kind of meant to be this like charismatic, sure. Um, the gimmick is that he's in tune with nature, that the Isle is like, you know, that they're peaceful and whatever, but there's that like kind of evil that runs underneath it. Um, Edward Woodward, who plays the main character, um, really like great performances. Just this asshole who is really just trying to get to the like serve the the letter of the law, um, and it's just kind of put out at every turn, um, and eventually ends up locked in a wicker effigy of a dude and gets burned to death in order to save the crops and the future of Summerell, um. A really beautifully filmed, um, which I think is really like the key thread through all the seventies movies. They just they look amazing, um, even today when you watch them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, really great feeling of escalating dread and unease as the movie goes on, as they kind of like build these layers on top of them, and um, Woodward is kind of drawn further and further into like basically like making mistakes himself and getting himself stuck in a situation um where he feels like he's he you get the impression that as the viewer you know that he's not in control but that the character feels like he's in control all the time and always one step ahead of him even though as the viewer you know that he's not and it makes the ending when it's revealed that he's been trapped and he's you know the girl is alive and the girl like there's nothing wrong and she was basically there to lure him in and they need him as the stiff upper lip devout christian you know british officer of the law to be the sacrifice towards you know restoring the balance to whatever nature in summer isle or whatever Mm. um yeah i think it's like one of the quintessential horror movies of the 70s um a really funny activity is to watch this and then watch the 2008 i think six uh 2006 um yeah nicholas cage remake um just to see like how widely different they are but yeah i mean i don't know i don't know what else to say about that we haven't said about it before but i love this movie i love the feel of this movie i think that it's the perfect like just folk I don't know, like that idea of the stranger in a strange land almost, like why it's probably not good to get intermingled with, you know, like these closed off communities because you're probably going to die. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I have anything new to say about the worker man, um, except for, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a really good slow burn um, movie. I can see where some people probably um that are like reticent about like older horror like you know uh being kind of stiff or or dull um at times like uh this one builds at i think at a very good pace um starting with like kind of like what's going on with the mystery and just like as like more and more paranoia and mystery building um and a really like great ending to this movie like um like I, I I enjoy it every time I watch it. Yeah. Um, and I find new things to like about it each time. So, so let me ask you a question real quick. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is gonna be like four hours long because we're like forty minutes in and we haven't even finished seventy three yet. So yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Episode two two hundred baby. <laughs> I won't be so verbose with with uh-huh. with the the eighties. Um. So. I I right. I do want to just follow up quickly with a couple um. A couple questions here. So you mentioned the last detail. Um, um, another movie that's never made a list before. But um, is that something that will make a list? Do you think someday? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I know you really like that movie a lot. So you you've expressed that to me before. You? Yeah, like it a lot. Um, don't look now. Another one. Interestingly, that's never made a list that I know that those, you really like. Those might actually be on the same podcast. Who knows? Okay. Um. How do you feel, dread. Yeah. How do you feel about scenes from a marriage? Mm, I don't really know if I know it well enough to feel anything about it. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh. All right. So that, sorry because yeah. I was, 
I was just wondering because it's you know it's Bergman, um, so I wasn't sure yeah. if you. It's one of the ones that I don't really know that well. Okay. I mean, um, it's like that Stardust and Tinsel. There, there's a couple of them that I've seen once and have never revisited. Yeah. You mentioned Soylent Green, so I'm just going to name off of some movies that have made lists prior for you. Um, the Exorcist, Day of the Jackal, uh, Westworld, and Soylent Green um, were all things that have made lists before from this year. And I was just wondering uh, what you thought, like, especially The Exorcist, I would say, since it's like one of the more pivotal movies of that year. Um, what stopped you from putting that on the top five? Specifically? The Exorcist specifically? Yeah. Um. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's not on my personal. Sure. Okay. Like, I feel like there's other, I feel like in every single one of these years, there's other movies that objectively you could say are more important or whatever, but I honestly feel like the legacy of the Wicker Man is stronger in modern horror than the legacy of the Exorcist. Sure. You know? I agreed. Yeah. I mean, um, shit, one of the more well-received horror movies of the past decade well, two of them. You look at like Lighthouse and Midsummer. Both of them um, have more of a connection to The Wicker Man than anything. Like, what do you what do you get? An Exorcist believer? Like, you're getting these bullshit, right? right. Hollywood like garbage movies. Although I think The Exorcist believer was better than it. I thought it was going to be. Um, really, it's just. Better, it's better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I thought it was going to be absolute like abject trash. So it's a two out of ten rather than a one. Out of ten, I'd say it's a four out of ten, and I really thought it was going to be like a negative one out of ten in those trailers. I, we'll talk about that separately. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just the I the Exorcist hasn't really done anything for me in twenty years. I don't know. I just don't really care about that movie. I guess it's got a couple good performances. You know, Sadow or whatever is great, and what's his name, the priest is is good in it, and. There's some iconic scenes in that movie that obviously like carry on, but I think that it's like you know this this is a probably disgusting analogy for anyone that cares about film, but like everyone talks about like Debbie does Dallas or Deep Throat or something, you know. But like you're not watching like when you watch porn, you want to go on after that. Like nobody cares about that shit. It was shocking at the time because it was the first thing to come out and do it. Like yeah. You know, to scare people in an audience by being so transgressive, especially towards like religion and whatever. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's tame by today's standards. There's sure. nothing like shocking about it, really. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, it still scares my mom. So if that tells you anything. Gotcha. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to 83. Um, we do have some, a few things we've never talked about on here. So uh, the first movie on the 83 list is Le Dernier Combat. Uh, benson's first feature film um so why did you include this on the 83 list um because i like it and yeah. i don't think we'll ever talk about it any other time hmm. um early uh jean renault movie um it was one of those ones that like this is a movie that i found through my friend like through like just being exposed to like art house movies through this like video store that was in the area at the time. Um, and I just found it to be kind of number one, it's post apocalyptic, which I'm a sucker for, but it's like art house post apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just feels like really raw and almost like 
amateurish at times, even though it's not like like Bassone has like a really strong control over the camera and the narrative, but um just the way that the characters look, the way that the action plays out. Um I don't know. I just I, I really enjoy it. I love the black and white. I think it's it's beautiful. Um I love the fact that it tells a pretty compelling story without using like really any dialogue at all. Um Yeah, I don't know. I just I, I really enjoy it. And yeah. again, I think it's a movie that you talked about like like friends of Eddie Coyle like being sort of unknown. I mean, I don't know who's ever talking about Lodernia Comba like anywhere, but it was one of those movies where I really like fell in love with it in early age and it's just always kind of stuck with me, like images of it and um yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um it 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 when you put it on the list, it's like I saw this when I was like nineteen maybe. Um and I have not seen it since. Um but there's something about the black and white filmmaking in this that and and the um it is fairly it's slow paced you know for a post apocalyptic movie and it's very small um i did rewatch it and i think it still holds up uh overall this is one of the two that i rewatched and um there there are some scenes that i i found that i still remembered very well um from 25 years ago or whatever almost um when i first saw it uh there's a scene where he um ends up finding like a bar and like drinking like a bunch of the alcohol and stuff like that that is um a um a really touching scene in it um in some ways at least i i could like relate to it like and i think putting in this kind of like a post-apocalyptic setting um like that kind of like loneliness that it exists um sure uh makes it uh a really strong scene uh but he um it's 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 a really solid film like um i'm looking at some of the other movies that like from that year and yeah like i i think it belongs um i i don't know what else like i would replace it with honestly um and like it's um it's 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 definitely something that like you said most people i don't think know about i never hear anybody talk about this movie that much um and it's definitely like a film worth watching and i think it like um stylistically does have um some resonance like um what is that damn video game that i like so much stalker stalker yeah Mm -hmm. and i know stalker is also kind of related to right the fucking amazing tarkovsky movie um as well but i do think that there's some stylings here that like you know in the post-apocalyptic realm that um um have carried on Mm -hmm. like you know like there's like you know all like the machinery broken down and stuff like that i just yeah like it feels like a companion piece to something like letters from dead men or whatever yeah yeah yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of that world sure um and i like that like and as much as i love the mad max movies um all of them um I like this other like idea of like the post apocalypse where the world is just gone, you know, and it's like left to the survivors to make their way. So anyway, I could, I could trigger you right now and I'm not going to. Um <clears throat> so the next movie like... the next movie on your list is uh, El Norte directed by Gregory Nava. Um it uh 
this is another movie I did end up rewatching this movie. Um, but um, what's your memories of this, and why did it make your list? Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched this movie in thirty years, probably. Um, eh, that's not true. Twenty years, probably. Um, I just remember being really like. So I saw this movie in Spanish class yes. in <laughs> um ninety three, maybe. I would uh-huh. have seen it. Yeah. And just being really like af- affected by the story of um you know the the two kids making their way into the north and um it's very it always feels like a very pale movie to me when I remember it. Um but also just you know you're living in Cecil County in the 90s and What's your thoughts about like immigrants? You know, like you're not thinking about people and the struggles of coming into the country. Like it was shocking to see this movie that really was kind of a revelation as to what, you know, people were dealing with just trying to come to live a better life in America. And honestly, I think it's one of the things that's kind of really affected my political and, you know, yes. sociological views since I've seen it in the sense that I just, I don't know, I just, I, I feel like you watch a movie like El Norte, and if you don't just feel empathy for your fellow man, like, I don't know, mm-hmm. like, what's not, like, what's dead inside you, maybe. Right. Um, so for me, and again, like, I, I did not watch this movie again. I just picked it off the list because I feel like it's an important film that we'll probably never talk about. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, where it falls into any other category, mm-hmm. especially, like, as the podcast evolves in the way that it does. Mm-hmm. Um but I think definitely worth watching. And if you've never seen it, you know, I would equate it in terms of its effectiveness with something like Eli Vassal's like night or mm. um, I don't know. There's just, there, there's seminal works that I think kind of expose you to the plight or heartache of like a specific group that you might not think about otherwise. And I think that El Norte is, is one of those movies. So I don't know. That's yeah, all it takes, it takes on this kind of like a, I, I I forgot parts of this movie, but it like is yeah, it was like ninety six probably when I saw it in Spanish class. Um, uh, but rewatching it, um, it takes on this kind of like iconic view of like the traditional story of immigration, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, where it takes these like slices of. I'm trying to think of like almost like almost like the mythology that's been built up of what the typical immigrants tale is. And I wonder if it came from this movie, honestly, I'd like to know, know if that kind of like what the 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 what the traditional tale, the immigrant like, you know, fleeing into this country, how much of it comes from this movie, because it feels like that's like the common narrative um, that we're exposed to in the 90s and right. 2000s. Um but it's really effective in terms of making you sympathize with those people. Um, and, and, and interestingly, not only them getting into the country, but when they are here as well, and the plight of the illegal immigrant right in this country. And yeah, you're right. I, I don't know. It's more for its subject matter. And I think the importance of exposing that subject matter it's a well-filmed movie. It's extremely competent. It goes above competent sometimes in terms of some of its filmmaking and specific scenes. Um, 
and the the filmmaking matches the emotional impact of the story itself at times and it kind of like does like have like some high highs to it but i think it's more notable for anything than the subject matter and the exposure to different cultures um yeah. uh, other than your own um for this kind of like three-part saga really is what it is when it comes down to it um of these immigrants uh it was a solid movie it still held up as well i thought um overall um yeah Here, here's the last thing i want to say about it and i just mm -hmm. thought about this while you were talking um because you mentioned like what comes after this and like what it influenced i think it's interesting because to me this is a movie that is a non-politicized look at that like it right. really is just kind of like uh like here it is and here's what it's like kind of thing as opposed to when you see immigration tackled in movies now it, it definitely has a lean one way or the other like you're watching fucking Sicaro or rambo whatever last blood or whatever the fuck is called you know right. and it's like sure colored by like political views and whatever and i yeah i don't know like to me it's it's just refreshing isn't the right word because that's a crazy that'd be a crazy word to use because it's not a refreshing movie but right like 100 percent interesting to see you know from almost like an unbiased perspective i think kind of like what these people went are going through and i don't know but dernier combat is uh more hopeful than this movie is um <clears throat> yeah well. but uh but yeah like uh the 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 Oh, I was going to say something in response to that, but uh, th this movie, depending on who watched it nowadays, because everything is so politicized um, in the culture wars, like people would look at this today and like criticize it, like having watched it the other day. Um, definitely you would have like anti-immigration people like criticizing like how manipulative this movie is and all that kind of stuff. But um, uh, so, yeah, nothing safe anymore. But yeah. I think you're right in the sense that it, I think it is trying to just take I'm sure it was just a, honestly a bunch of stories that people like, you know, the writers knew of, you know, that happened that and create they created an amalgamation probably mm. um, is my guess. But <clears throat> um, out of these things. But yeah, no, it's a solid movie holds up. Um, next movie you have on your list is one that we talked about in episode 18 of the podcast the top five counterculture movies um underrated episode by the way if uh, nobody's ever listened to that uh it is uh liquid sky directed by oh i forgot to look up how to repronounce it. oh I'll, I'll i'll say it for you you got it okay yeah it's slava zuckerman zuckerman okay slava that's zuckerman. how i've always said it i don't know okay um sorry mr zuckerman if that is incorrect um but yeah, like, uh, why did this make the list? Um, it's kind of a bizarre movie, like for probably most people, I would think. But <clears throat> I really enjoyed it when we watched. Yo, it. yeah, it's a fucking fever dream nonsense. I don't know, like bisexual drug addicts get invaded by horny UFOs. I don't know, like, what the fuck else do you like say? Right. Um, I mean, it's crazy. It's colorful. It's like charming in its own way um i don't know i it makes a list because there's nothing like it up to this point and i really think it inspires a lot of like 
the iconography and fashion of like the later 80s um and maybe even beyond that like you look at stuff like the prodigy or whatever you know i mean you can see costuming and dress and you know and techno and club music and just whatever like i think a lot of it comes from this movie and i think it's a it's a messy i don't know like last gasp of punk being its own like cry for rebellion as opposed to just being co-opted into whatever the rest of the um disposable consumption of the 1980s um Mm -hmm. that we all like genuinely love but like this movie is flies in the face of that um i don't know i don't know what else to say about it like we talked about it at length in that episode um i think that if you have the chance to watch it you should watch it this is a movie that was like almost like mythical when i was a kid where you it was really difficult to find copies and like VHS copies of this movie used to go for hundreds of dollars because it was impossible to find. <clears throat> um, again, this is from the video store. I happen to be able to watch a copy of it and um, just kind of blown away by how crazy it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. Go watch Liquid Sky. Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting watch. Um, It'll make you gay. That's my... <laughs> That's your sale, sale, sales. Yeah, job. yeah. That's 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 the hot take. Um, it'll make you a gay heroin addict. Um, at least it's not the drinking water. It'll be liquid sky. Um, I'm actually going to jump ahead real quick, Frank, to um, uh, not the next movie that's probably on the your list to uh, David Cronenberg's Videodrome, um, starring James Woods and Deborah Harry, because I just find it. Uh, we talked about this as episode 31 of the podcast, mm. top five horror B movies in 1983, and we talk about it at length. Um, I remember in that episode, um, because it's the first real chance we got to talk about Cronenberg. Um, but I, I just found it interesting in the idea of like with you know Andy Carlisle and Liquid Sky and performance art and stuff like that and like coming out of disco and like some of the punk stuff and then you got debris harry in this movie i just felt like it like jumping to the that fourth movie felt weird to me but um uh so why'd videodrome make the list here um i mean you're not gonna again another guy that for better or for worse maybe has fallen off a lot in the past like decade um, although he has his highs and lows in Cronenberg, sure. um, but very few directors are as visually daring and kind of anticipate some of the angst of the modern age, sort of, in their mm-hmm. movies. And I think if if any movie kind of perfectly, you know what it's like, all right, that's what I'll say. You read about like shamans or whatever in um indigenous cultures like taking mushrooms or whatever and having visions of the future or like you know we'll talk about like tennyson like in whatever that poem is where he talks about fucking airplanes and shit if you interpret it a certain way right videodrome is like that in the sense of like cronenberg seeing the future but not being able to truly interpret what he's seeing but in terms of our beings our souls almost being enmeshed in 
what we capture on film and what we see and in video and you know like just it it being part of us right like it being like us we're like almost like infested with with media kind of right Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. like what cronenberg is seeing in 1983 but like showing in this his own like almost like inimitable psychosexual manner that he does of like everything where everything is like penises and vaginas just you know through the lens of like i don't know rubber sphincters or whatever um (laughs) that's there's there's your uh there's your spin sugar and category (laughs) for the evening yeah the lens of rubber sphincters Uh um i mean it really is just like it's a very where liquid sky is the fever dream like Videodrome is like the nightmare, right? Like it's the thing that it's the inescapable future, and it's true. I mean, like he really does. If you look at the Brood, Rabid, Videodrome, um, uh, Scanners in some ways, mm-hmm. um, Dead Ringers after that, The Fly, right. like Cronenberg really was like pretty visionary in terms of like what was coming and what we should be afraid of. He just, you know, again, it's always got to be like a dick or a a vagina like oozing out of everything but i mean it's true you know like it's about i mean isn't it all so, I, right yeah the, I mean, the, he's not the, wrong the commercialization of sex the sure. monetization of the human like existence in a lot of ways or the technologicalization of the human existence i don't know there's just a lot of shit that like cronenberg like sees right going forward and he's like the fucking like Born Jules Verne or something, I guess. I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, my guess is he's probably. Uh, I know he, I know he's into psychotherapy. Um, you know, to some degree, my guess is he's probably a a bit of a Freudian, Freudian, um, and views a lot of things through sexual components in terms of behavior and actions of people. Um, I know that Freud is like kind of persona non grata anymore in the psychology community but i mean i i don't think like some of like the broader concepts of freud are necessarily wrong um like about a lot of things coming down to sex in a lot of ways and the technology is like immersed with sex um in one to one degree or another i mean um billion dollar industries i mean like one of the one of the real reasons the internet exists is for porn is not just like you know the title of that you know broadway song or whatever sure um you know and it's like if you broaden it beyond porn and think of like the most like kind of like graphic and like you know like base kind of like type stuff i mean the advent of social media and like you know all that kind of stuff like goes towards relationships you know which is like just not all but many like the nice way of saying sex like you know so i mean i i think if you broaden it out like you know and stuff like that then yeah absolutely um like this is uh predictive in some ways um the internet is reborn much like your uh tennyson thing argosy's a magic sales that's the line airy navies grappling in the central blue um 
which I don't know how else you would interpret it. But. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's definitely. But yeah, he's. But I no, I think you're right. I think Cronenberg's a seer, and 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 the last thing I'll say about this, uh, and this is about Cronenberg in general rather than Videodrome. But it's like this guy does so many like, let's just put quote unquote weird stuff right in so many of his early movies and stuff yeah. like that. It really is like one of those like like artists where they're doing that because they can already do the other thing, like the standard thing. And I think you see that, but you don't see it until the 2000s where he goes and does History of Violence. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, I think he could just do that in his sleep. You know, like, I, I think he could have always done that. And I just don't think it was very interesting to him. Yeah, agreed. And it's like, and and I, I think that he really is like a visionary in a lot of ways. And um. This is definitely one of his um one of his more out there ones, like in terms of the uh sure. the visuals and the graphic nature of all of it. Well uh anything else to say about this before I move on, Frank? Um No, well, I don't know. No. We discussed the movie itself at length back in episode thirty one, if you're really that interested. Um we get into like themes. Yeah, and... it's, it's a good listen, I think. Yeah, I'm lying. I've never listened to the podcast. I don't know what it sounds like. <laughs> I'm sure we said some interesting stuff. Maybe. We did say some interesting stuff. I remember. Um, the fifth movie in '83 is uh, the Return uh, Return of the Jedi, um, Episode Six, uh, directed by Richard Marquand, uh, not George Lucas. Um, would you have gotten that trivia question right if I would have asked you who directed Return of the Jedi, Frank? I, I would not have. have. Yeah, no. I, would, I wouldn't have. Um, <clears throat> oddly enough, never talked about this movie, Frank. Yeah. What, what do you say about Return two, of the Jedi? Yeah. Um, I don't know why it never came up. Uh, yeah. We talked about Empire and we talked about um, New Hope, but... I mean, I would think the category would be like actual good third movie of a trilogy, kind of maybe. Okay. Because there's fewer of them than there are like, like bad third movies of the trilogy. Sure. Um, it's Star Wars, you know. It's yeah. one of the better Star Wars property or better Star Wars movies in the line. Um, it's a great culmination to one of the biggest influences I think in all of our childhoods, especially if you're or gen x or like early millennial i mean like star wars is embedded in your your psyche almost and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot of really iconic scenes um you know beautiful matte photography with you know miniature work and stuff like the rancor and jabba these like amazing like puppets and dice noodles yeah size noodles exactly um I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. I think for a lot of people, it's their least favorite movie in the original trilogy. I get it. I know there was a lot of like, I think fake like hate for the Ewoks and shit, um, to the point where they changed the Yub Yub song, which is fucking criminal. Um, I th hold on a second. I thought you didn't like the Ewoks. No, I'm fine with the Ewoks. Hmm. I always, I don't, I always, I don't know if I defend, but. Ewoks are fine. I mean, I can see like the problem with the Ewoks in a lot of ways because they're 
fucking Lucas and his goddamn white man's burden, like always trying to save the indigenous peoples of a planet. But um, him, Jar Jar Binks, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean I I love Jedi. I Jedi actually. If you want to talk about like influences in terms of like my um playing with toys or like my imagination as a child, Jedi is probably like one of the most the foremost influences in that. Um I would argue that Jedi has the better set pieces of any of the Star Wars movies from an action standpoint, like the Jabba's Palace stuff. Right. Um especially like the like him like falling into the rancor pit and then the sail barge sure. stuff and yeah the skiffs yeah boba fett really boba good. fett where and mm-hmm. um yeah blowing up the death star and attacking the bunker on endor and the speeder bike scene i don't know i mean there's so much great shit in fucking jedi and then plus the culmination of the father-son storyline you know with luke ultimately vader ultimately sacrificing himself to save his son um yeah, it's just uh, it's Return of the Jedi. I don't know it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. You just Han Han not being able to see the the thing I think of every single time is I'm out of it for a little while, and then everybody's got these delusions. Delusions of grand. Grand. Like, yeah. uh, like the Jedi Knight. Um, <clears throat> fucking Harrison Ford during that time period was so good. Um. Yeah, that that that's that whole sequence. I know it gets cut up, um, interspliced with the Battle of Endor, but that whole sequence in the throne room is like one of the greatest, like final like fights oh, yeah. of all time. Um, like the me- the menace, like a Vader, like a Vader fucking with him, like you know, a sister. Yeah. Um. Uh. Sister. So good. You and have like, a sister, and that fucking music swelling. Like when like like Luke like can't take it anymore and like you know like if you won't turn to the dark side like maybe she will like and that music like that William score swells and he comes out yelling, um from under that staircase fucking amazing amazing stuff I mark out every single time still when I watch yeah, it. me too um Scarface Scarface the hunger and something wicked this way comes were the three movies from this year that made uh previous list um. We never talked about Sleepaway Camp. Oh yeah, that was this year. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, but it's okay. Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, just saying. We talked about Crawl too. Crawl was on this year. Yes. Don't you leave Crawl out, man. <laughs> you know, I almost put Crawl on the short list, right? No, of the Jesus desktop Christ. I love that fucking movie. I know you do. Don't want to repeat it that is... episode. That's a fun episode. I can't remember what episode number that is. It's in the teens somewhere, I think. Um, yeah, but we we need to revisit that's crawl a, with like that's a, a that's a that's a fun episode to go listen to. A it's second like the, one, the time where like I like probably I have the most chagrin maybe of any episode. Um, is that sword and sorcery it's episode? Crawl, legend, Excalibur. What what are the other two on the list? Uh, what did oh, you say, legend? Legend Excalibur Crawl. I don't know. I'll look it up at some point. Um, while yeah. we're still on the episode, but um, what what, what stops Scarface? Hunger or something wicked this way comes. I know you really love something wicked too. I mean, yeah, I know. I just don't think it's like I think it's a very niche movie in terms yeah. of even my love for it. Like, I I don't know. 
I don't really care for Scarface all that much. I think we've talked about that before. Come on, we talked about the movie before. I mean, it was it was fine. Like it's just I yeah, it's fine. List it made. Um, you know what it is is that it's like I've seen Scarface posters on too many walls and too many movies to care give a shit about it. It don't need any more hype from me. Right. Um. What was the other one you asked about? Oh, Um, the hunger is that the hunger? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's just I don't know. Here's here's here are the movies from this year that I actually consider putting on this list and change my mind. Uh Dead Zone, The King of Comedy, Literally Crawl. Um, I thought about putting the Macioka sisters on there because I really like the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't seen the movie in a long time and I can't remember if I really liked the movie. Um, I read the book after I saw the movie, so I felt like that wasn't whatever. Uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence with David Bowie's really good movie about um POWs during uh World War II, maybe. Mm. Um, I thought about maybe like doing a twofer with the Outsiders and Rumblefish, because to me those two movies like go together. I had that actually listed on here on non movies we haven't talked about, but I know it was on the Quick Cage or whatever. But yeah, um, and really like for your nostalgia, I thought about putting War Games on the list. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how I would feel about like if I watch War Games nowadays, but. And the time I enjoyed it though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 83 is a year where it's like nothing is necessarily like above and beyond anything else. Okay. I was going to say like and nothing really matters, but you could like well, anyone can see. Um I think you could talk about a lot of these movies and have an interesting conversation about them. Um but I think the five that are on there are the ones that 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 deserve to be on there. Yeah. So. Crawl Excalibur, Legend, Conan the Barbarian, and The Princess Bride. That is an amazing list. I want to watch all five of those movies. Hey, you know what? I got a whole fucking three-day weekend. I might do a Return of the Sword and Sorcery <laughs> list. <laughs> I hadn't, like... This is episode 14, if anybody wants to go back and look at it. Top... Oh, man. Top five Sword and Sorcery movies of the 80s. Yeah, I left I left it open for like some sort of like fucking sequel of the like the seventies or nineties or. Ugh. You you had so much Christian grin, like we just never been able to revisit it. <laughs> My opening like for like the little thing is hello everyone. <laughs> this week we bring you one is very stilted it was like early on like with me hello, like writing everyone. those things, but it's like I think you can even sense like my anger there. Like, like, it's not even an exclamation point at the end of it. It's just a period. Hello, everyone. Oh, man. I love all those movies. Yeah. All right. Um, Let's jump ahead another 10 years real quick. Oh, Jesus. Talk about uh, this is another one that we had an issue with. Um, So in 1993, the first movie that was on your list uh, is Richard Linklater's uh, Dazed and Confused. We talked about this in episode 39. That's that's a long time ago. I feel as much sooner than that. Um, It was was the top five summer movies. Mm. Um, So you want to go ahead and um, explain your love of Dazed and Confused? I think it's one of the most... um iconic indie movies of the 90s uh i think it's i mean it's definitely the 
jumping off point for a number of like really popular actors throughout the 90s and 2000s um and it's a i don't know it 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 feels like high school i know it wasn't like our high school experience necessarily because it takes place a decade before decade and a half before really i guess right Mm -hmm. it's in like the late 70s late 70s um it's quotable it's relatable it's got great characters i think it's got a really interesting flow between scenarios where you kind of feel like you're like bobbing along on that night with all these people like in between you know like you see this group of people and then they disappear and then maybe a few hours later you see them again at a different party or randomly like at the diner or something i don't know i mean it's just it reminds me a lot of like those summer nights when i was a teenager um before i had any real responsibility in like going out and spending time with friends and just i don't know like being wild and unencumbered and having your entire future ahead of you and i think the link letter captures that pretty perfectly so that's it i don't know I wish it, you enjoyed. Um, it, it gave it, it gave us all right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, be, be pretty cool if you did. <laughs> um. Anyway, yes, I don't okay. know. Well, sir, I am. This is my RJ City. I am dazed and confused by your love of this movie. Um. <clears throat> Great. Wait, wait, wait a reference of failing wrestling company and <laughs> our skyrocketing um, podcast. Whatever. I'm gonna I'm gonna hashtag him. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is a fine movie. It's not like I absolutely despise it or anything like that. I just don't get there. It's a it's a certain time period, it's a certain look. Like it makes me feel we we talk about this with what's the other fucking movie that I don't Ice Storm, is that right? Oh yeah, because you got no isn't taste. that the same time period? Uh, There's something about that, like maybe seventies, very early eighties time yeah. period that, like, I think Ice Storm is probably like eighty one, eighty two. Yeah, like bugs the hell out of me. There's something about the dress. There's something about like you know the the Here's... shag carpet. Like you know, I I, I just I, I just I don't know what to say. Like I think that yeah. I think that you either get it or you don't. Like I think you either like feel those feelings or you don't. And like yeah. Ben Affleck as this like fucking asshole bully getting his comeuppance, you know, mm-hmm. like being like being the central figure and then disappearing and then coming back and then disappearing and then getting the fucking like paint or whatever dumped. You know, it's just right. all that stuff. It just it feels good and it feels like mm-hmm. real and like raw. And I don't yeah. the party at the friggin um radio tower you know like that shit feels like being at a bonfire down on like a beat some random beach in northeast in like 1994 or whatever where Mm -hmm. you you know you're meeting like you're seeing all these people that you wouldn't normally see together or you know and there's people that hate each other and there's like the potential for a fight there's always always right always like some people are going to fight each other. And be like, oh my God, you hear that so-and-so is here and he's going to kick so-and-so's ass. Right. And it's just like, like I like all that stuff, you know, it's again, it's the unencumbered, like limitless future of being a, a teenager, you know, like right. anything is possible and it's yeah. warm and you know, it's you're free, like school's over, like all that stuff. Just, I don't know. Yeah. 
Um, and it's got a great soundtrack. So it does have a good soundtrack. Yeah, you are right about that. Um, yeah, I, I don't I'm know. Right about I'm right about everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I have problems with those movies. It's a me thing, I'm sure. Like, because American Graffiti, like, I'm not like that high on, like, in a lot of ways, and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I mean, I just, I don't. I don't I don't feel those movies, as you said. You know, you either feel it or you don't. I just don't feel those movies um, so much. Like, those kind of end of high school type things. Like, end of summer yeah. type things. Um, the next movie on your list is Groundhog Day, directed by Harold Ramis with Bill Murray and Andy McDowell. We talked about this in episode 26, a third uh, third man episode. Um when we were doing those with a friend of the podcast, Jason Heaster, it was about the best of Bill Murray, uh, where we talked about Groundhog Day and what about Bob? Is that right? What about Bob was my yeah, choice. It was yeah. your choice, right? Yeah. Um. So why Although, Groundhog Day? Well, because it's just fucking funny. Yeah. It's a great performance. It's a good love story that's, mm-hmm. you know, set in this ridiculous universe that could never happen. Um. It's like a Twilight Zone episode, but with a I mean, like a laugh track and it doesn't have a laugh track it's just it's funny i don't know it's a enjoyable film it's a film that you can sit down i think that anybody i think it's timeless number one i think that's the most important thing that yes and there's nothing that like anchors like weighs it down into a specific time period or there's a you know it's a small town that you could still see today i think in a lot of ways and Everybody knows, you know, Puxatani Phil, especially around here in terms of like mm-hmm. the groundhog scene in the shadows. So there's that almost like local link for us in a lot of ways. But it's just fucking funny. Like it makes you laugh every time. I think it's eminently watchable. I think it goes by really fast. Mm-hmm. I think Heaster actually did a fantastic job of like kind of selling this movie. So yeah. if you want to go listen to that and hear our friend Jason like talk about how this movie's great, I mean, he's right. Like it's yeah. just, uh, it's almost like the perfect winter film in a lot of ways because it has the majesty of like the winter wonderland mixed with like a dude falling in a goddamn six foot deep pothole mm. filled with like slush, you know, right. like those are like the two extremes of winter. Sure. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, nah, it's, it's a fun. Yeah, it's a fun. It's a funny movie. I mean, um, plus I ain't going to ever put much comedy on any list. So you sure. get what you get. You get... <laughs> um, right yeah i don't expect it from you there's a there's a spin category about this this year um out of your mouth uh the next movie uh save that one for last okay all right so save it for second to last because i want to talk about those two together okay number three and number five so okay all right. So the next movie on your list here is the Joylette Club, um, directed by Wayne Wang. We talked about this on episode one hundred and four uh, of the podcast. The top five compelling female leads. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Good choice. And um, yeah, why why did this make your list? I just like it. I like the yeah. performances. I think it's a great ensemble piece. Um, I really, I really like the fact that it's it's a culture that you weren't seeing much at the time. And I saw joy luck club probably in 94, 95 and really knew nothing about like, I mean, we didn't have, 
we had very few Asians in Cecil County or especially in Northeast at that time. Sure. Um, we had a small amount of like um, people that were from India, but very few people that were Asian and seeing like the Asian culture. And I think that Wang captures like, like the importance of like food and meals and being joined together and conversation. And I, it's just, it's just a great, like, ensemble piece filled with these interesting characters and i think it's a really important film in terms of like bringing like asian culture into the american consciousness um yeah i don't know i just i really enjoy it yeah no um when we watched this i had seen it as a teenager i suppose and then we watched it a few years ago um yeah no absolutely uh Really did, good story, really good performances. Hmm? Did I send you my entire list of like the short list? Only for 73. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, mm-hmm. twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38 movies that I put on the short list for 93, which is by far like the most of any year. And I think that 90% of them would have been acceptable choices um, mm-hmm. for us to talk about. So shortcuts? I think they're really, uh, I actually do have shortcuts on them. Really? Jesus. Even though I'm not a fan, I, I don't like shortcuts, but I think that it's still Altman and it's still an important movie. It's just not a movie I care about, and that's all I want to talk about. So fuck you. <laughs> um... I'll have what? you. I'll have you read through that list, like yeah. Well, once, then, once, rather once than me through. ask you about certain things, yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, next on your list here, um, two movies that we haven't talked about, although one that we will, um, in the coming year. Um. First is in the name of the Father, directed by Jim Sheridan yeah. with Daniel Day Lewis, Emma Thompson, and Pete Postlethwaite. Um. Why did this make your list? I mean, that's fucking amazing. The the performances in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, it's a thing that at the time I was really kind of enthralled with, which was the, um, uh, IRA. Yeah. The IRA and, mm-hmm. um, in specifically the, um, the Guilford like pub bombings, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I was super into the Irish punk band, the Pogues. Mm. Um, and there's a song they have about the, um, the Guilford pub bombings and the, the Birmingham four and. Um, but I mean, Daniel Day Lewis's performance in this movie, I, it's a real shame that that dude, it's a shame that he has an accurate estimation of his own worth as an actor and will only act in things that he really feels he should be in because he is, I think he's one of like the five to 10 best actors that's ever lived, honestly. Yeah, um, and won't act in anything anymore. <laughs> right, that's that's what I mean. Like he yeah. he knows his worth, and he knows what right. he's done, and he doesn't need to right. do it. Like he's almost like like the the anti cage in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's it's an effective movie. I think it's a great drama. I think you know, Apostle Swate and um, Day Lewis are both just lights out in it. Um, I like the direction. I think it's really well written. I don't know. I mean, I I also yeah. think it's a movie that for as much 
kind of like critical fanfare as it had at the time. I think it's a movie that's sort of like fallen by the wayside that people don't talk about yes. much. Enough. And <clears throat> I don't know if maybe that's like, I feel like this country goes through like waves of love affairs with different European cultures, right? Like, oh, we love the Italians. And, oh, we love the Irish. And now oh, it's, you know, four weddings and a funeral and the man that went up a hill and came down a mountain. Fuck the British. Right. Um, but I think that, like, it's just one of those things where it's sort of an unco- it's an uncomfortable movie to watch. And it asks a lot of uncomfortable questions. And, you know, it's kind of hard to, like, find sympathy towards, like, the IRA or whatever. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I definitely think it's worth watching. I actually, like, I was thinking about it because I haven't had a lot of time to watch anything because of work and whatever. But now that I have this, like, real, like, true three-day weekend... I may actually sit down and watch this movie this weekend because it's been a long time since I've like seen it and um yeah. Yeah, I ran out of time and it's not up anywhere for free right now. But um I've always been like really high on this movie. I think I saw it in ninety not long after it probably came out on video, within six months of there. Um because I got in my first Leonard Mullen guide. Oh together. yeah. Mm-hmm. and I was going through stuff and um, had my mom run it for me, and actually my mom and I watched it, and um, for the subject matter or something she's not like really like big on, um, she really liked it, and I like loved it. I, I knew just the, just the tiniest bit about the IRA at that point. Like, I didn't know very much at like 14 or whatever um, about it, but yeah, this movie... Um, this is the one of the first times I really like it's a good movie. It's a good story, yes. It's competently directed by Sheridan, who I think is a competent director. Um this is the first time I really, I think, fully understood that somebody's performance, and I'm talking about Daniel Day Lewis here, carried a movie. Yeah. Like this is the first time I ever like thought that as a as a child, like still, like as a 14 year old. Um and it's it's just it's like a really unforgettable performance here. Um, and um, first time I ever saw Apostle Sweet. Um, probably the first time I ever saw Emma Thompson. Honestly, too. I mean, probably the first time for all these people. But um, yeah, it's it's a really amazing performance and definitely a movie that's worth checking out. It's like one of those things that you're right, nobody talks about, but it's like this random movie because it got four stars from Leonard Maldon that I watched when I like, you know, within a year of it coming out and have like thought about like ever since like specific scenes and stuff like in the movie. Um, Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Daniel Day Lewis. We still haven't done There Will Be Bloody. <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't know where that falls. I know, but. I'm waiting. Like uh, I've never, I've, I have not rewatched that movie because of that. Um, but yeah, uh, great movie. Um, so the next movie, um, the last movie on the '93 list is Mike Lee's Naked, um, starring David Thewlis. Uh, so why this movie make the list? I mean, I think this is this is going to be a crazy statement. Uh, this might be my favorite performance of the 1990s. Hmm. And one of my favorite performances, like, ever mm-hmm. in a film. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Thulis is, like, a, a pretty great actor. And I think most people in the modern age probably think of him more as, um, 
what's his name rufus wolfsbane asshole in harry potter what's what, what's that character's name fucking um loomis word, yeah Lup- loomis right my bad remus 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 lupus or something remus like lupus, that yeah, yeah yeah because lupin lupin uh, who knows whatever fuck jk rowling anyway um <clears throat> one of the most lupin lupin yeah, yeah lupin right because he's got a name that's two wolf names Lup- so... <laughs> what did i say lupus yeah lupus like for the scene yeah yeah but, but I mean, that's that's related to lupus means like well. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I still. It doesn't matter. Fucking. Yeah. yeah one yeah. of the most vile, yeah, charismatic characters I think ever captured on film. In a movie that's maybe the antithesis of Dazed and Confused in a lot of ways, like where Dazed and Confused is about this like perfect night with like absolute like hope like naked is about these awful nights of dead ends and bad relationships and just bleak hopelessness of this man that's like so brilliant and yet so self-destructive that he can't get out of his own way and it's fucking man i don't know it's it's one of the best written movies I don't know. I think I've ever seen for being like almost like a series of soliloquies. Soliloquies, right? Yeah. Set pieces. Yeah. Um and it's one of those things where it's like I I almost like hesitate to say that I wish Naked was more popular because I think this is something that would be like like embraced by like the incel community of like mm. <clears throat> this is like their hero, you know, like in where people misinterpret like like fucking what's his name Zack Snyder right reading like Watchmen and being like yeah Raw Shark he's he, he's the the hero of this shit like I think people would really like if people really listen to Thulis's performance here um and watch this movie I really think that's something that could happen like he would become almost like a like a an, an icon to the subset of people who feel like they're smarter than everybody else and somehow the world is always fucking them and so they should fuck the world back as hard as possible and don't realize that it's just themselves fucking themselves basically and like as a teenager man like Thulis like those those speeches they get you oh yeah you know like they pull you in and you can feel like man like right like fuck yeah but then as an adult we watch this movie as much as i love this movie it's not one of those ones that i watch all the time like you know i mean we we've talked about this i mean there's movies that i watch every year right in some cases sometimes right. more than once a year mm-hmm. um and it doesn't have to be like old movies i mean like modern movies can get get to that point for me sometimes but naked right. is a movie that i really have to like almost like condition myself to watch Mm -hmm. because you're going to feel that movie like the entire time you're watching it. And when you come out of it, like you're going to have conflicting emotions, I think, but it's, it it is so worth watching. And just again, one of the most, one of the most brilliant character studies ever put to film by somebody that's truly an underappreciated actor. I think, um, in our modern, you know, by like 
modern audiences. Yeah. Or misappreciated, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's the way to put it. The energy of the camera work in that movie, too, and how it just keeps keeps you going. Like, with his, like, fucking... Just him talking. Like, the camera almost keeps up with his rants, you know? Like, um... It just it just it sucks you in and just keeps you the entire time. Like it's an overused phrase, but it's a tour de force performance. Like it is. You're right. It's one of the best performances I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, because it's mostly all him. Yeah. Like it's, and it's it's fucking crazy that Johnny, who's this misogynistic, abusive, rapist thief con artist like Thulis like just makes you like like him sometimes and it's like I don't I, look I don't want to whatever mansplain or pretend like I've ever whatever but I mean I think you can see sometimes like why women get into abusive relationships with people that are just you know I mean he's fucking charming right like right even though he's like absolute cretin, like he's a charming cretin, and he says and brilliant, that, yeah. I mean, that's 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 the makings of a narcissist. They are usually very intelligent and can be very charming. Um, what is it that my grandmother used to say all the time? Um, street angel, house devil. Um, mm. Like, like, yeah, he, he can be very, very charming to people. Um, yeah. Before he like rapes them. Like, um, but yeah, poor Sophie. Um, I love you, Johnny. I love you. We will be, we will be talking about this movie more in depth, um, later in 2024 as part of a, um, uh, a new series that we'll be doing in the first half of the year. So, um, We'll be going in a lot more in depth into this movie at some point than we've been spending tonight. But yeah, definitely a movie worth watching. And if you have the opportunity, um, sometime in the first half of this year, you might want to go ahead and um, watch it so you can join along in the discussion with us later on. All right, um, another ten years, and now we are in two thousand and three. Hey, hey, hey! Oh, you sorry, about right. the 90s? Yeah, Jesus. Okay, Jesus, Johnny. <laughs> Schindler's List. Uh, no. Can I? I'll just go alphabetically if you don't go, mind. Go, go um, Eileen uh, Warno, Selling of a Serial Killer. It's one of the few documentaries I put on there, mm, but um, okay, super impactful to me. Um, mm-hmm. Army of Darkness, A Bronx Tale, Chronos, mm-hmm. Dave, which is one of my secret favorite comedies of the nineties. Interesting. I love me some Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, Demolition Man, Falling Down, Farewell, My Concubine. Fire in the Sky. Um, I put Hard Target on there because I thought it was kind of funny. And it's like, you know, Woo's um, John Woo coming out of like his uh, Mandarin only films to like film in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I put Hocus Pocus on there just because so many people love Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to tell you the truth. I've never seen Hocus Pocus, but whatever. Like I, I just felt like it was one of those things where when you ask me for like a short list because people it's so influential and like mm-hmm. especially women that are around our age and like a little younger are like yes. super into focus focus they are here yeah. house of the spirits um in the line of fire uh jurassic park 
um, Metadio, which is one of Kurosawa's, maybe it's his last movie or one of his last movies. Um, Much Ado About Nothing, um, which is a really good um, adaptation by what's his name, Branagh. Uh, Philadelphia, The Piano, The Point of No Return, in Love Bridge of Honda. Um, Red, Rock, Red Rock West, um, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Remains of the Day, Return of the Living Dead 3, which we've talked about. Um, Romeo is Bleeding, which I think is kind of an underrated like action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Rudy, which I fucking hate. And um, The Sandlot, which I don't hate, but I don't love as much as some people. But I think those two kind of go together. Mm-hmm. Um, Schindler's List, Shortcuts, The Snapper, which we've talked about um tricolor uh blue which we talked about red i think right or white white red, white white um tombstone one of my favorite you know westerns of the 90s mm-hmm. um true romance which i would have told you one of my five favorite movies of all time at one point but then i watched it as an adult and what was i thinking um what's eating gilbert grape and the wide sargasso sea um, all were movies that I thought would be possibly worth talking about in the nineteen in nineteen ninety three. That's a pretty I, loaded fucking year. It is, yeah. Um, I missed two things that I was going to ask you about. Did you? There was the Fugitive on there. No, nah, I don't care for that movie. Yeah. I uh, think the Fugitive is overrated. So, uh, California. Man, you and your fucking California trying to put California <laughs> on some list. <laughs> Uh, god damn dude like get your get your fucking juliette lewis or whatever her name is it is juliette Julia lewis. lewis yeah get 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 your juliette lewis fixation out of here is her watch... brad pitt and Dave i know who it is lolita davidovich sorry yeah lolita davidovich go watch fucking dust till dawn and strange days yeah um, yeah yeah please go watch strange days i'm just calling out things that i know um you have problems with um life all right all right 2003 2003 oh was carlito's way on there no i don't hate can hate what? carlito's way get out of here come on um you don't like donnie donnie brasco either you don't think there's anything i do like there. donnie brasco. what bullshit i swear I to god it. i, don't I believe think it. donnie brasco is a good movie okay all right fine see what make list that makes something um <clears throat> All don't right, make... 2003. Uh, do you want me to change the order of this at all, or do you not care? Uh, yeah, leave number two for last, I think. Okay, all right. Um, the first movie you have on your list for 2003 is Tim Burton's Big Fish with Ewan McGregor, Albert Finney, and Billy Crudup. Um, why this movie? I, I shouldn't have to ask you this, but why this movie make the list? Um, I think it's just a perfect fairy tale, kind of. Yeah. Um, I think it's maybe the ultimate Tim Burton movie without being like overly Tim Burton-y. Mm-hmm. Um, although it still has his Tim Burton-ness to it. Um, I've seen kind of a cultural re-examination of this movie recently. Really? Um, where people don't like it as much. They kind of find it boring, but what? I don't know. I think it's, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I've seen a few like Reddit posts to that effect and um, someone I'm friends with on Facebook posted something similar, like, I don't think it's that good of a movie anymore. And I don't know, maybe Tim Burton's fallen out of grace or mm. um but I, I think it's I think it's a fantastic fairy tale and a beautiful ode to <sighs> your relationship with your parents, you know, and how it's a complicated thing and 
a way that like we mythologize certain things in our lives um, and make them grander than they are. And um, I think it's a great performance by McGregor. And I, I think it's a beautiful. Then it gets down into like um, the core of like the idea that like men can't actually express real emotions. So that so you know he hides his whole life behind stories, right? Like through yeah. the mythology of his own life, you know, making himself larger than life and making his son less. But there's also that like idea of storytelling and stuff. It's it, look, I'm going to make the statement for myself. I think it's Tim Burton's best movie. Um, and even if that's not true, it's my favorite Tim Burton movie. Um, I don't know if I've admitted this on the podcast. I think I admitted to you at least off air. Sometime during COVID a couple years ago, I like, you know, during like peak COVID, I like turned this movie on, like woke up at like five o'clock in the morning for some reason, turned it on, fell asleep, went back, like I fell asleep like 25 minutes into it, went back and rewatched it. Like, you know, when I woke up like a couple hours later and the last fucking 10 minutes of this movie, like bald, like lost my mind, like like I've yeah. never cried that hard in my I think in my entire life to a movie like and I have not had seen this movie multiple times and I always like tear up and stuff like that have not had that kind of reaction to a movie ever like lost my shit um so there's something there whether that's my damaged psyche no, or this movie um or a combination of the two um this was um yeah i've never been that emotionally impacted by a sequence before um to have that kind of emotional reaction to it and um so that's something at least but i i love this movie i i think i could i think it's something i couldn't watch it every year but it's something that i'll probably watch every two or three years um without a doubt like yeah i've only seen it a couple times but i feel the same way I would say it's my second or third favorite Burton movie. Mm. Behind what? Just out of curiosity. Uh, probably Ed Wood and Edward. Edward. Nah, it's probably fourth because I like Beetlejuice a lot too. Mm. Ed Wood, Edward Scissorhands, and Beetlejuice are my my top three Burton. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, I think Edward Scissorhands would probably be my two. Um. All right, so next movie you have on the list here is A Mighty Wind, um, directed by Christopher Guest with Bob Balaban, Christopher Guest, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, blah, 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 like so many people, um, Michael McKean. Um, so why did this make your list? Um, I think that the, what do they call their, like, troop of people? What anyway, whatever, the, yeah, the, um, the spinal tap team yeah um i think it's a funny movie without being like overly comedic that has some like decent dramatic elements that aren't like it's almost like absurdist comedy kind of with the idea of the whatever the the folk music like reunion thing or whatever and all the import that these people place into something that is inherently like really small in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the performances in this movie, but the most important, the thing that really sticks with me the most is I legitimately sing songs from this movie just randomly, like <laughs> in my real life. 
like I think about them and they come to mind and I mean I think there's no bigger mark for a film than one that has created its own like almost like world of music that's stuck with me for whatever 25 years now so. right yeah and it's a movie i don't watch much like i i love mighty winds state and maine um best in show i i think those are all great fucking movies and i just i don't watch them enough and every time i think about them like they really i have a lot of really warm nostalgia for for all of those movies but i think mighty wind is my favorite out of all of them honestly mighty wind or best in show both those movies are fantastic but i i really love i know that like i, I don't think our group of friends because we were all really into like these movies when they came out i think our group of friends is not as big a fan as mighty wind but uh, to me it's my favorite one yeah and um do what the good book tells you to <laughs> oh yeah hey yeah yeah i don't know i think i think it's one of the best love stories of that i've ever seen probably like with the Catherine o'hara eugene levy characters yeah uh-huh. um that's like the core of the I, I i i love this movie i you know but it's like that's the core of it to me is that relationship and that story i mean in the movie kind of makes it i guess that kind of like really the main story as well but like that reunion um like i'm like fascinated by it like yeah. every single time that i will i mean i've only seen it three times but i mean um yeah i really love this um i I really like Spinal Tap a lot, so it's really hard for me. Um, but I also really like Waiting for Guffman a lot too. Mm, like yeah, that's a good one. I I don't know. I don't know what I would pick like out of them. But like, I I don't want to say I love them all equally. But um, yeah, it's really hard to choose. I I don't think I could. Like I'd really have to like parse through it. But um, Mighty Wind's really good and it's worth watching. And I think it's really funny and it's really good. Um, story and you're right the music's like for me not really caring for like a lot of that music like it's good um um well done well yeah. i mean I'm a the, the harry shearer stuff's really funny in that too yes i'm i'm a fan of folk music so i don't know maybe i'm a sucker yeah. for it but yeah um another movie we have never talked about before that made the list here is patty jenkins monster with Charlize theron um christina ricci and bruce stern uh, so why did this make the list for you I think this is one of the most uncomfortable movies you can ever watch in your life. Um, number one, fucking Theron as Eileen Wernos is out of sight. One of the best performances, I think, capturing like a real life figure mm-hmm. ever. Um, and there's a gut churning sickening like sweetness to her love affair with Ricci and just like feeling sympathy for this person that's a serial killer basically and just her portrayal of this you know abused in in indigent like creature sort of that is a victim of her own circumstance and making you feel like sympathy for it. And I mean, seriously, like this movie makes the list 
for nothing but the fucking um don't stop believing scene in the discotheque mm. like just being one of the most i don't know there's that in the crimson and clover like it just i don't know it's it, it makes you so awkwardly uncomfortable while you're watching it and it's just i don't know it's it, it's a powerful movie i mean i'm a fan of patty jenkins anyway but um i think that theron is absolutely like lights out remarkable in this movie and it's that performance that put it on the list yeah um i need to go back and watch it again at some point i haven't seen it since 2000 i guess whenever it came out on video probably or whatever in 2004 um so when you talk about it being uncomfortable was it like henry level uncomfortable for you oh yeah yeah, yeah. Th- th- this and henry are the perfect like hmm. this doesn't have the same gritty realism of henry i mean it's definitely a film when you're watching it yeah but boy like i i don't know man hmm. Like I, it really like makes my guts like tense up like watching some of those scenes in this movie, mm-hmm. and especially because I mean I was really into. Oh, I don't know how to say that. Um, I was fascinated by serial killers when I was in my teens and early twenties to the point where like I read dozens and dozens of books about serial killers and was always like mm-hmm. looking for information, and so I knew I had seen. You know, I brought it up in the um, 93, 93, but I had mm-hmm. seen, you know, Eileen Wernos several times. I owned it on video, VHS, I think, before this came out. So seeing that and then seeing this performance was so real. Right. It was, it's it's really, yeah, it's crazy, like, how good the performance is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll be watching at some point Um, based off this. Uh, I, I didn't know that your love for it was that great. Um, oh yeah so yeah um, i think it's i think it might be i mean i think next to henry it might be like the best serial killer movie hmm. it's it's close there's not much that's as good as it yeah chris just typed in monster in the google like that's gonna get me somewhere you know where it got me monsters inc <laughs> no monster.com <laughs> oh nice we'll get a job <laughs> I might need it soon. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> oh, it's free everywhere. Um, Peacock and Tubi and yeah, everywhere. All right. So, uh, fourth movie on your list is Park Chan Wook's Old Boy. We talked about this all the way back in episode nine, the top five foreign psychopath films. Mm. Um, it's a good episode. List. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like intermittently we've talked about this movie every time he comes up, probably like in some small way. So, um, but why this make the list? Probably pretty obvious. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. it's a it's a great movie. Like um, one of the one of the preeminent of the, movies of the decade, like four yeah, movies of the decade. Definitely, yeah, one of the best. Park Chan Wook's like best movie, I yeah. would say. Um, great twisty plot line that just kind of like picks you up and puts you down and picks you up and like takes you this way and then fucking like stabs you in the guts i mean i don't know the ending is heartbreaking um oh you really feel for oh 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 daisu who's a dude that was just a drunk asshole you know like Mm -hmm. 
and ultimately was kind of just an asshole as a kid and like i don't know like it asks a lot of questions and it's part of the revenge trilogy so this sympathy for lady vengeance and um sympathy for mr vengeance um lady vengeance or sympathy for mr vengeance um this is the best one out of the three um I don't know, like what what constitutes revenge? Like why? What is when does someone when is when is it too much? Like getting revenge on someone, and how much is too much? And then what is someone like conditioned to do? I, I don't know. There, there's so many things that happen in this movie, and honestly, like you could put it on the list just for the fucking hammer fight in the hallway alone, which sure. is. I think one of the most iconic scenes in any movie from the um and replicated from the 2000s yeah ne- never imitated never like truly replicated yeah closest thing I would say is that fight scene in Daredevil Daredevil yeah where he goes into that building and just like kicks the shit out of everybody sure yeah um great performances uh, again o- o- Odaisu um is a great character um and it just it looks good if you've never seen it, you're going to be, I think, really surprised and kind of blown away by the twists and the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and also maybe a little uncomfortable, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Talk about Freudian. Yeah. Um, so the last movie you have on 2003 is Kill Bill by Quentin Tarantino starring Uma Thurman and a cat and slew of other. Yeah. Millions of people. Yes. Um pretty obvious i guess but like one of my favorite movies of all time i mean we've talked about it sure i guess really just on the tarantino podcast right Nah, we talked about there was somewhere else where we talked about volume uh we talked you 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 i combined them together because i cheated right right but yeah but yeah i have no regrets i think Um, you put sequel i don't know i don't know what you did i can't oh maybe yeah it was the sequels of the 2000s yeah i think so yeah i'm a i'm a scumbag Um, I don't know. It's one of the, it's one, I, in my opinion, it's one of the best movies. Yeah. It's a top 50 movie of all time for me. Maybe even a top 20 if you put them together. Yeah. Um, It'd be hard, but yeah. It's a compelling story. It's great performances. It's an amazing Mm -hmm. soundtrack. It's one of the greatest living auteurs at his peak. Mm -hmm. Um, taking elements from all of his different movies and like, elements from different like pop culture whatever and films from the past and just combining everything together into what i think is really a perfect film you know especially yeah. if you put both parts together i think they're sure i don't know man i think they're pretty amazing i think it's an amazing movie it's yeah. so many iconic things the action is so well choreographed and fast-paced and believable and some of the set piece stuff is just i don't know it's it, it's mind blowing that like a movie could be as perfect i think as the kill bill movies are and you could sit there and watch all whatever 6 hours of film that those two movies encompass or five and a half hours and it feels like fucking 45 minutes like it just flies by it does um <clears throat> And it even, like, he takes, like, weird chances and it still works where it doesn't always work in other movies. Like, the animated sequence and stuff, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, 
I would usually be so annoyed with that. And it's like, he does it so perfectly and it encompasses just the right amount of time. And then immediately cuts to like, you know, the Lucy Lou shit. And it's right. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's so well done. I, there's the the thing that this is the only thing I'll say, and I can't remember. I don't know how long it's been since we talked about this, so I'll say it now because I I don't know when I'll ever say it again. The massive amount of fucking, I mean, not mass, make it masculine. Uh, the massive massive amount of guts to put in like a seven minute or so sequence before the cli- like the real climax where she goes to see Bill. In that scene with Esteban Viejo. Oh, yeah. Do you know what guts it takes? Like, what confidence you have in yourself to put that entirely talky scene and prolong, like in a a Lynchian-type way, to prolong the climax of that movie? Like, by having this little side adventure where she stops to talk to Esteban to find out, like, where Bill is at. And then the quality of that scene is astounding. You can watch it in isolation and it tells its own story. Like, and the acting from her and the acting from, um, who was that? Michael Parks. Yeah. Um, like unrecognizable, (laughs) like, like behind the makeup and, and, and everything and the costuming, like, is so damn good and it takes it takes somebody that's extremely confident in their own filmmaking at that point to put that scene in there um and i think like in isolation that scene as like a between an antag kind of an antagonist and a protagonist just talking across the table rivals any of the major like antagonist protagonist scenes like in the history of film um Absolutely amazing scene. You know, and I I completely agree. The thing that gets me every time I watch the movie is is the fucking bologna sandwich. Like, this, like, master assassin Mm -hmm. basically taunting his prey and just doing the most domestic thing. Like, Mm -hmm. look, I'm not going to lie. Anytime I put mayonnaise on bread, like I'm doing the kill, I'm doing the bill, like knife flip as I like butter as I mayonnaise my bread. So that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's I, an amazing sequence because uh, when he's doing that, that's the goldfish, right? Yeah. 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 Because um, he flips, he flips the knife over, and right, like he's talking about life, and like you know he, and there and there's. Right. It's like this this time where he's like domestic, right? Like, you yeah. know, like where he's like and he's like talking about raising the daughter and her learning about life and death, but there's that like subtle hint, that little threat that's like in all uh, it's it's also good. Like it's it's amazing to me that the last 30 minutes of that movie, there's no action. Really. Yeah. It is the violence is in speech. It's in words. Um, except for that one motion at the end. You know, like, you know, like the one, the, what is it? The five finger death? Five finger death punch, yeah. Punch, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. A- amazing movie. Um, like that all the violence is to get to the point of like having that conversation, really. Um, so good. 
Um, see, there's something that's like subverts expectations, right? And you like, yeah, it. yeah. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> but it's not, it's not subverting expectations because it's trying to be edgy. It's right, right. I don't even know. I know. I'm just, yeah. Um, <clears throat> did you have a short list for this year? I mean, I can just tell you some other stuff that was on it. Okay. Yeah. Um, 21 grams. Um, American Splendor, which I thought about, but I haven't seen it enough to know. I've only seen it the one time, but I really enjoyed it. Um, Badass, um, which we talked about. Um, right. Bad Santa, Cold Mountain. Um, The Cooler, which I've only seen once, but I thought was a really great performance by mm -hmm. um, William H. Muffman. <laughs> yes. Um, Dogville, which I put on the short list because I thought maybe you would bring it up. Um, Finding Nemo. One mm -hmm. of my favorite Pixar movies. I was ask about that, right? Um, that, that's, we talked about that. So. Gozu, which we talked about on the list recently. Right. Um, High Tension, which we talked about on the list recently, and mm -hmm. I think the same list, actually, maybe. Yes. Um, Identity, which is kind of not a perfect, not not a great movie, but has some interesting ideas. The Kuzak um, movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where okay. he's, yeah. it's all the same person yeah, in yeah. the hotel because mm -hmm. they're all in his mind or whatever. Right. I mean that conceit is kind of goofy, but it's 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 well done enough where it kind of keeps you guessing. Sure. Um, the main street, the big like release of Juon, like where it took all the originals and combined them together, was O three. Mm -hmm. Return of the King is O three, which obviously not a fan of, but still mm -hmm. an important movie. Um, two smaller movies that I like quite a bit. Um, in Lost in Translation and Matchstick Men, mm -hmm. um, are O three. Um. One of our best movie-going experiences watching movies after work in Ungbok mm. uh, was 2003. Mm -hmm. have, um, yeah. The Rundown, which is a fun um, Dwayne Johnson vehicle. Um, Save the Green Planet, which is a Korean like sci-fi comedy, which is pretty good. Sorry, um, Shattered Glass, great performance. Yes. Um, Underrated Shattered Glass, yeah. Uh, 13, which is a really good like mm -hmm. performance piece. Mm-hmm. Um, Wonderland, um, which I've only seen once, but interesting. That? Wonder, That's the John Holmes movie um, oh, about him yes. like going crazy and yeah, becoming yeah. like a drug drug dealer. Yep. And then um, Zatoichi adaptation from this year from mm. um, Beat Takashi, which is really good. Right. And a movie which I know that you would have put on your short list um, that I did not, which is Spring, Summer, Winter, Fall, Spring uh who knows one day both that and dogville we might end up uh talking about someday who knows um we never know bring it motherfucker like i i mean i don't even dislike I, uh, that movie like i just you don't understand my love for it it's not that i just found it kind of boring i don't know like i i mean i think people would make the same argument about uh like uh your favorite book of all time um what's my friend siddhartha yeah you know I don't know if that's my. I see it. I see. I, I, motherfucker, I have heard you too many times sit there and like. I've heard you. I'm pretty sure I've heard you say said Hearth is like my favorite book of all time. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure those words have come out of your mouth. Who can have a favorite book? I would argue Blood Meridian is my favorite book of all time. I would. I would argue that. No, I won't do that. Um, that's absurd. Uh, <clears throat> I think that there is an equivalency, not in quality so much, but in theme 
of Siddhartha and the spring, summer, fall, winter, spring. Um, like that is 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 somewhat equivalent from book to film. Um it takes me less time to read Siddhartha than it takes me to watch that fucking movie. So. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Um I mean it's a short book, but I don't think that movie's as long as you're suggesting this. Um just yeah, might like, feel that way. It's too. like two hours and twenty minutes. Um Dog Siddhartha, <laughs> Siddhartha makes me want to like live in a shack on the river and ferry people back and forth. Like I, that's mm-hmm. what I want to devote my life to every time I read Siddhartha. So mm-hmm. So there's there's a couple things I wanted to ask you about. I'm surprised they weren't on your short list. Um, a Tale of Two Sisters was this year? Was it? Yeah. I don't know why I didn't put it on there. I was I was surprised. Um, yeah, that should have actually made... Um, that would have probably made the list. What would it kick off? Mm. Let's revise it on the fly. Like right now. Uh, Do it. Do it. Big fish. Okay. Um... At least it's a firm answer. Um, not the right one, but a firm one. It's my um, subjective opinion. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up to you is uh, Memories of a Murderers this year. Oh, is it? Yeah. I wonder, what, do you think they were released in Korea like a previous year? And maybe, maybe I, I didn't see them on like, I don't know. That's so weird. Because I love that movie too. I know. Um, That's why I was, yeah. I that would have probably re- that would have probably replaced. Uh, I don't know what that would have replaced. <laughs> it probably would have kicked Mighty Wind off, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah that that movie is so uncomfortable. Like it is fucking Koreans, man, and like making you yeah. feel feel things. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, they're like legitimately could have been. All of these lists could have been like top tens or whatever. Right? Of, of course, but I'm just saying there could legitimately have been three Korean movies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like on yeah, like it was that good of a year, um, for for film there. Um, all right. Um, anything else that you wanted to bring up about any of these? I guess we'll just talk about it in a year when we do the craziest list ever probably with 74 84 94 and 04 84 what comes to mind for 84 immediately like in terms of what's the first movie that comes to mind from 1984 for you i got i don't know I've, just think it's gonna be i don't know, no, no, no. I don't yeah, know you do think about think in your mind about what came out in like come on you don't know your years toxic you avenger is that 84 i guess so did you look it up i just googled it i'm gonna <laughs> cheat um it is 84 okay um first thing that dune. came to mind for huh dune, dune is, is 84 yeah it's ghostbusters first thing that came to mind for 84 for mm. me. oh my um, god threads is 84 Oof. Mm. i've been waiting i've been holding off on that man paris texas never ending story repo man blood simple ghostbusters jesus christ yeah wait fucking star man Wait until you see 74, man. 74 is going to be wild. You know, what I, you know what I watched? This is the most ridiculous thing ever. On the flight back from Thailand mm-hmm. this past time, I watched the motherfucking last Starfighter on the inner the whatever. Yeah, on the plane. In, in, in inner plane. web plane? Yeah. Airplane the fucking last, the last Starfighter was one of their choices. Hmm. And I said, what? And I watched it. 
and it was exactly as I remembered it. Did you watch Enemy Mine next? <clears throat> you know, do you know my feelings about Enemy Mine? <laughs> I think I do actually. I, I have a lot of trouble watching Enemy Mine. It's um number one. I never understood the title when I was a kid. I I hate the fucking. My mom had a purse that was the same texture as the alien's head. Uh-huh. And every time I'd All see that our movie, moms had that purse, yeah. I would think of that purse and I'd be like, oh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. You hate their fucking fish faces? Yeah, that doesn't really bother me so much. No, I don't like it. That. It, remind, it reminds me of um, Cobra Commander in uh, the G.I. Joe movie after he gets hit with the spores. <laughs> He's just like, the spores, the spores. Once a man. Oh. Uh... A good Lewis Gossett Jr. performance, not a good uh Dennis Quaid performance. You know what's funny is that very few people are gonna get to this part of the podcast to hear the G.I. Joe the movie discussion in relation to enemy mind. I know. Whatever. You know what? I'm shutting the podcast. Last time G.I. Joe came up, like that I remember, that I recall right now. You want you want grievance? This is what episode two hundred is now gonna become grievances. Oh man. You it cut off the G.I. J- yeah. You cut off the G.I. Joe wrestling discussion on like episode like 22 or something um, with Bledsoe and I. So I. What was the G.I. Joe? Re- I mean, I know you always talk about said, like. I think it was. We were. I think it was the Goody episode. It's probably even earlier than that. It's like episode 14. And. and um somehow by the end of it we were talking about like using gi joe's as wrestling figures and you're like like okay like you know that's enough we can talk about this some <laughs> other time um you probably like pulled your car keys like out and we're like dangle them or something like you know, yeah, play with them that's, like, my, you that's know? my move uh-huh um <clears throat> cutting off the we were getting into the gi joe's like wrestling conversation you know why because i never did that right Right, because you have no empathy. No, because I have respect for my G.I. Joes. They ain't some fucking Palooka goddamn jabroni wrestlers. They're warriors. Palooka would have been a good name for a jobber in the G.I. Joe wrestling universe. Palooka is like G.I. Joe's boxing instructor or something. He's like the guy that replaces Sergeant Slaughter. He's the guy I just named Boxer. I don't know if there was an actual G.I. Joe named Boxer, but that was his name. Are you um, talking about Big Boa? The yes. guy with the boxing gloves and the mask? Yes. Yeah, that's yes. Big Boa. Okay. Um, he's he's Cobra's um, physical trainer, basically, and like combat trainer. Why is he wearing the big mask? Do you really want to know the story? Okay, no. I'm cutting it off. I'm cutting the podcast <laughs> off. <laughs> All right. Um, sir. Uh, so, do you want to just talk? Um, let's talk a minute about what we got planned next year, Frank, for anybody right. that's made it past the G.I. Joe stuff. Um, so, first episode of next year, um, in the next couple of weeks, will be a Fresh Five. Um, and I'm going to assume, Frank, at this point, a horror Fresh Five. That right? Yeah, maybe. Probably. I don't know. I'm 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 still on the fence about what number five is. Yeah, it might not um, be a horror movie, but okay. Um, it's probably gonna be. <laughs> um, 
but we'll have a fresh five list for you. So we are going to be continuing fresh five or sorry, top five lists intermittently um, throughout the year. But um, Frank mentioned like the evolution of the podcast earlier. And one of the things that we're really interested in doing after oddly enough, that fucking ridiculous Superman um, concept last year, which some elements of it I enjoyed, but I think it was more about the Superman <laughs> stuff specifically because mm. that came out of nowhere is just a way to kind of cover a really hectic year for us um where a lot of things were up in the air um and and made it a little, little bit easier but i i got really interested and i think frank in in a different way is interested in these journey ideas so um starting in january through roughly may i guess uh we will be covering all films from the saw franchise mm. mm -hmm. um so it won't be like you know one episode devoted to each movie but um it'll be kind of like you know split up like you know uh we will be covering kind of the first movie like by itself and then um two and three together etc um and we'll be releasing those over the first like five months of the year uh and uh, with top fives mixed in, we will also be doing a series with friend of the podcast, Michael Bledsoe, which has been on many times, including the Goonies episode um, where Frank um, cut off the G.I. Joe wrestling talk. And um, we will be doing um, the movies Bledsoe needs to see before he dies list. <laughs> so we'll at least be getting um, five movies that Bledsoe needs to see before he dies um, covered from january to may um of this year and then in the summer we will go ahead and start another journey series uh with um from the podcast jason heaster where we'll be going through all of the fast and the furious movies in order um so that's what we kind of had planned so far i know there's a godzilla top five planned in there um in the next in the first few months of the year um i know that we are going to talk about midsummer at some point um in an individual episode and the godfather 2 we are going to talk about at some mm. point thank um, you for getting about that that's exciting yeah it is um so we have a lot of like different stuff planned but um we'll still be doing top fives just moving a little bit away for it see how we feel about like these journeys as we're going through them um as the terminology i'm using um but that's kind of what we have planned for the at least first you know seven eight months of the year um just so you understand where we're going um other than that again thank you everybody for um continuing to listen to us and if you've gotten to this point of the podcast you are um definitely like some like a hardcore fan and we really appreciate you a lot you just waiting for the G.I. Joe talk. You want to know the secret behind Big Boa. That's why you're still here. But now oh, you never okay, know. okay. You know what? Tell, tell them about Big Boa. That's the, this is the end. This is the end. Has, 200. Episode 200, you're going to tell them about Big Boa. So Hasbro originally had a deal with um, Sylvester Stallone to have Rocky as a G.I. Joe. Okay. Um, but his license was sold to something else or something, so it fell through. So he is Big Boa because of Rocky Balboa. I mean, also because he's a Cobra, but that's the connection. So the body and everything of that character, of that toy, was actually a Rocky action figure. 
um, that they had head sculpts for and everything, and they just replaced it with like the mask thing. So they just didn't want to get rid of the mold or the sculpt or whatever. So they just reused it and put a fucking mask on it. Yeah, instead of being like GI Joe's um, personal trainer, like kind of like Sergeant Slaughter was. Oh, was, so you know, Rocky Balboa was going to be GI Joe's personal trainer. Yeah, Rocky Balboa would have been a GI Joe. It wasn't like a separate IP, like where it was going to be just a Rocky. No, 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 no. They had I mean, Rocky would have been a GI Joe. They had that's like why Sergeant had Slaughter the, was kind yeah. of. Gotcha. That's why they had the gloves and the muscular body. And yeah, everything. okay. And then when they lost the license for it, they just took it and made it a Cobra figure with all the same parts um, and the masthead. So that's actually really interesting and um, ties into movies. And um, yeah, I'm an interesting guy. That's I'm 1976. Shit. I was going to, I thought it was 74, Rocky. Um, <clears throat> that failed all right well double that, that, i guess that is actually really interesting i i would have not have thought that about big boa who i call boxer in my wrestling league what what do you think boxers ceiling was as a wrestler in terms of titles i used nwa wcw title so it was world us tv he was like your tv champ now nah. at one point well yes at one point yes he made it up to U.S. title status. Oh man, that's the work rate belt. It, it was. What do you think? What do you think? Uh, boxer's finisher was. Was it some kind of fucking headbutt or something? Because he wears that big steel helmet. You're like a diving headbutt, maybe or something. Yeah, shit. you're you're making fun of me. Yes, but it's like. I mean, I'm just using my imagination to try and figure out like what the yes, guy's doing. Yes. Okay. So it was. Um, it was am diving, I right? It was, it was a diving headbutt. Yes. Okay. But you have to understand when I was doing this, I didn't know who Harley Race really was, other than like this like retired legend. Okay. Mm. So I didn't know Harley Race did diving headbutts and he did like falling headbutts rather than diving. Mm. I was doing Benoit diving headbutts. Yeah, that makes sense. In like 1990 with fucking Boxer. I know you're fucking ahead of the head of the curve. I was very ahead. There was moves that was going on in my GI Joe leagues because they're so flexible that people hadn't even thought of yet. I know. And you know what it is? Is the fucking the you know pre-Zach Brave pipeline pipeline. It, that... it was. And you know what, man? I, I'm just going to say, this is the claim, is I think a lot of those wrestlers that ended up innovating moves also played with G.I. Joes as wrestlers and thought of you these did. moves, and then they actually went off and, like, you know, like, went to wrestling school or whatever, and then did them. Well, um, they're a bunch of plebes, too. Not playing with their G.I. Joes, right? uh all right we'll stop thank you for listening everybody thanks for 200 episodes and have a great new year's um we'll be happy um, in the first uh, couple weeks of january appreciate you deuces